0: Welcome to the premiere episode of Trending Through the Chaos, a new podcast from the music discovery platform Trend and Chaos. On this podcast, we will interview artists, musicians, and producers that are innovating, disrupting, and helping to push the music industry forward in a positive way. In today's episode, we have singer, songwriter, and guitarist Jake Allen, as he has just released his latest album, Affirmation Day. Thanks for taking the time to uh, to do an interview with Trending Chaos. Oh, man. Really Thank you. It. Thanks for, uh, for doing one. I appreciate it. You know, before we get into the music stuff, so you've been safe? Everything's been all right during this lockdown? You've been keeping busy?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been, like, it started out and I was insanely cautious and really strict on everything I was going out and doing and sanitizing groceries as they came in the house and everything, and then I've just started to kind of loosen up a little bit and, like, get out and start doing stuff. But I mean, for the most part, knock on wood, everybody, you know, my friends, family, we've all been pretty safe up here. We live in a pretty uh, rural area that's not insanely, uh, the numbers aren't great up here. So it's been, um, it's been bearable.
0: I was looking over your, you know, some of your stuff. I saw that um, you were involved in this art incubator in Lithuania and that just sounded so cool to me. So how'd you get involved in that and, you know, what came out of it?
1: so in 2018 I was invited to um, Lithuania originally with a group of artists that I'm part of and it's a, it's an international arts group so mostly visual artists painters um, you know digital media stuff like that and from all around the world um, it's called take me to the river and I, uh, I I basically like to consider myself the musician outcast of the group because I'm You know, I'm an artist, but in a different sense than all of these people. So um, anyhow, once a year, we try to make it once a year. uh, We go to an interesting spot in the world and do a art exhibition and a community outreach and collaborations with artists in the area of whatever given place we're in. This year, it just happened to be um, Lithuania that we were going to go do this project in. And uh, we got there. And I immediately fell in love with the country because it really um, – I mean, I'm I'm Polish and Ukrainian and stuff, so I'm, I'm automatically, like, feeling this kind of roots vibes, you know, being in Eastern Europe. And um, it, it also is is very strangely s- similar to um, Michigan, where I'm from. And, you know, we got there and we went straight to the coast, and the coastline is very much like the, the dunes you see here in northern Michigan and, um, and all of the countryside. It just feels like, you know, very – very much at home for me so um we worked in this coastal town for a week on this project and then we went to the capital of Vilnius to um to do this exhibition which was this big collaboration and it was a celebration between the um Baltic states and America and artists in those countries coming together and kind of um you know paying homage to the friendship we've had over the years So um, it ended up being a great project and we had all of these, uh, you know, people from the U.S. Embassy come out. The U.S. Ambassador came and spoke and it was an awesome opening and um, we had just such a great time. And during that, um, I was invited to play at an art incubator in Vilnius, which is the capital. Um, And of course, I took them up on that and... um, I went and played and... Is that
0: you ringing? Yeah,
1: I apologize for that. I, I just... <laughs> I, I need to turn off my notifications here. Uh, I think my phone just turned on is what happened. Hopefully that will stop. Back to Lithuania. So I played at this art incubator and they enjoyed the set so much that they said, hey, why don't you come back here and live for how, however long you want and do your next project here and you can you know pay ridiculously cheap rent for your own apartment. Um, because Eastern Europe is, is so inexpensive. And, um, and it's such a rich city. I mean, it's so rich in culture, and the people are just amazing, and, and they're very real, and they're very brutally honest. And um, so anyhow, I, I took them up on the offer, and, and the next year, I went back. I am so sorry about this. Yeah, so long story long... I uh, ended up there, you know, through this Take Me to the River art group and um, ended up going back because I was just so in love with the place. So I decided to uh, donate a month of time to just living there at the incubator and and writing a new record. And, you know, I went there with just that goal in mind. And I'd never done that before. I'd never, you know, just set aside a month to say, I'm just going to write music for this whole month. And um, it ended up being a really fruitful, you know, like a great trip that, That garnered a lot of new music and and by the time i got back home i had a new record on my hands and and i was uh you know jumped right into recording it and and uh yeah so there's a lot of uh really special kind of uh moments in in this new record that really take me back to you know not only lithuania but all of the traveling that i was doing that year all around the world and so it's this kind of condensed um thing that came out at the end of this this year's worth of um crazy, you know, Wanderlust and, and wild travel experiences.
0: So I want to talk to you before we get into the record also, like, so you've got a very kind of distinctive guitar style, um, you know, mostly around the acoustical, there's a lot of great electric, um, playing on the album, but you seem to be, you know, the have that very unique style around your acoustic playing very percussive, rhythmic pattern based stuff. So I was just curious like where the how that developed and you know like where your influences are with that.
1: Yeah. So in let me say two thousand five, maybe maybe two thousand four, I was you know, I was I was already kind of heavily into acoustic guitar. Um but it was more um You know, it was all kind of, everything was kind of rock based for me at that time. I was, you know, playing in in a lot of rock bands and punk bands and things like that. And, um, and I had started to kind of mellow out into this acoustic vibe that, that had kind of taken over in my music. And it was right around that time that, uh, my dad came back from, uh, Summer Nam. And he was, he owned a music store at the time. So he was always going to the Nam show, you know, for business. And he came back. This year, and he, and he told me uh, you got to check out this amazing guitar player that was just casually playing in the corner of the cafeteria during lunch, and not many people were even paying attention to this guy. But my dad was sitting there eating his lunch, just with his jaw on the floor, couldn't believe like what this guy was doing with acoustic guitar, and uh, it was Andy McKee, and I I saw a video of him, and this was this was pre YouTube, so he hadn't blown up on YouTube yet. He was just this unknown guy. Um, but my dad pulled up this, you know, old, um, this old video on the, on the internet and sat there and let it buffer forever. And, you know, archaic internet video. And, um, I remember watching that and just being really, really taken aback by not, not just the way that he was playing the guitar percussively and with two hands on the neck and like, you know, I mean, obviously granted that is a insane technique that he uses on guitar. Um, but I was more so interested and engaged with his sense of melody and the, the melodies that he was able to coax out of that instrument. And it made me start to really think about the guitar in a different way. You know, if he's able to, if he's able to make something so rich on this instrument that I've been playing, um, you know, I'm sure I could probably get there too. So I started to head down this road of, um, you know the, these alternate tunings, uh, fingerstyle, percussive, um, just things to get more out of my instrument. And so it really started with with seeing Andy, and um, you know I think he was actually a catalyst for a lot of fingerstyle guitar players. But I didn't let my um, I didn't let my production that I was already kind of invested into go astray because of that. I just implemented that kind of guitar playing into the you know kind of soundscapes and sonic things that i was doing at the time so it made for a, an interesting recipe of this kind of you know alternative indie pop music with this really interesting guitar inserted into it and there's still i mean there's still not an insane amount of people who have that kind of recipe so it's it's, it's still it's kind of own unique thing which is a double-edged sword because you know, it's hard to pigeonhole it into a certain genre, and and really um, and really attack any any given market because it's it's just what I do. You know, it's not it's not targeted in in any way as a typical genre would be. So it's an interesting mix. You know, between the fingerstyle stuff, um, the production. You know, and and my overall influences in music. You know, I started when I grew up. I was listening to. Yes, and Emerson Lake and Palmer and all of these like progressive bands that my dad raised me on. And then when I was a teenager I got into bands like Nine Inch Nails and Deftones and all of these kind of harder bands. But you know, I I see how much sense it makes from the you know, the very beginning of me being influenced by music and all of the things that I absorbed up until now. It makes perfect sense why my music sounds the way it does. And I'm just starting to really get a grasp on that and, and see it as, okay, yeah, this is this is my thing and it makes sense, you know?
0: It's really interesting that you say that because as I was listening to your record um, over the past couple of days, you know, there were certain kind of prog influences that were popping in my head. And I was like, how, you know, where is this guy getting this from? Like, you know, you, and you just mentioned Emerson, Lake and Palmer, because I was, it, it's, I just today this afternoon, I was like, wow, there's a lot of Greg Lake in him. You know, they had a lot of these prog, proggy jams, but they they also had a lot of, you know, beautiful songs in their stuff. And and I just, there was something triggered that when in one of the songs, I can't remember which song it was, but I thought, thought of Greg Lake. And I also heard the yes, you know, and more in the production um, side of things, you know, with some of the string lines and, and, and flute and synths and things that would come in and out. But I definitely hear the prog influences of your father and your work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely my dad was uh, responsible for you know you know training me young to to listen to this really kind of scholarly music I guess you could say but um, but it's funny because the you know there's there's kind of like when you think about Yes I mean there's like two camps to Yes there's the the Steve Howe camp and then the Trevor Rabin camp because there's kind of two versions of Yes you know there's like the early super progressive stuff and then there's like owner of a lonely heart you know, which is like it still embodies these kind of prog elements, but there's a pop sensibility about it that Trevor Rabin brought to the band when he joined in the '80s. And I, I mean, I like fell in love with that stuff because it was like it was it was still really musically, you know, and technically advanced, but at the same time, it was in this kind of pop capsule and it was easily digestible. Um, so there was a uh, there there was a lot of appeal. To that kind of direction for me. And I mean, if I if I was going to put my
0: music into
1: uh, a certain category, I mean, I'm, I think prog pop
0: is is a good. Uh, I title. think I think it and, describes it perfectly. You know, you have there I think back in those days there were a lot of bands who would who kind of made the jump you know like genesis who would you know with peter gabriel and and you know how prog they were and then you know kind of moved on later on phil collins and you know the pop mega hits of 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 the 80s so that you know they they were able to kind of like morph with the times
1: yeah well it is interesting to see you know like peter gabriel and phil collins like the the way that their their solo careers went after that band i mean it was like it was totally different. It was totally, I mean, it was much more commercial, but there's still something about it that, like that kind of held on to those audiences from those days of, you know, being these progressive rock giants. And I mean, today it's, it's interesting, you know, I was just, um, you know, I'm doing with this new album campaign. I'm, you know, doing a lot of studying daily on on playlists and, and things like that. and The administrative end of it, you know, because it's like, being an independent artist, it's um, it's so much, it's it's so little of playing music and it's so much work and, and all of this uh, emails and submitting your music to so-and-so and working with, uh, you know, publicists and all of this stuff. And it's just like, I'm studying, you know, kind of what, where the musical landscape has kind of shifted to um, and where I at now and trying to, um, you know, see myself in it and, and where does what I do fit and um it's 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 kind of it's it's a hard place or it's a hard thing to fit into any given place in today's landscape because it does kind of pay homage to those older kind of musical values that have kind of you know i wouldn't say fallen off the radar now but they've, they've kind of evolved into other things um so i mean i always i i i always liken it to um okay well the people who listen to my music are not going after x and y genre they're you know they they think for themselves there's there's like something in them that's that that is able to let go of the bounds of of genre and just put themselves into okay this is this is something written from somebody's heart that's authentic um and i think that's more important than you know catering to um you know what playlist am am I going to land on?
0: That's a great point. I was going to get into this later, but we we'll, might as well just dive into this topic. I mean, the whole idea of playlist—you know—the the playlist culture that we're in now.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think generally speaking, you know, people want people want a tribe or they want a camp that they can identify with, you know, and that's way beyond the bounds of music. I mean, you know, that's that's everywhere, and um, you know, so when when i think about music and i think about something that as you know boundaryless as music um i don't really think in terms of you know what camp is this going to cater to or what what group of people is going to um be interested in this it's always more of like i'm going to go on the adventure that i need to go on musically and hopefully you'll come along for the ride and enjoy it with me you know it's it's not about um, it's not about taking you somewhere familiar. It's about taking you where wherever my um, <laughs> my mind needs to go, and at that particular time, with whatever record it is that um, you're listening to. So, so that's why I always kind of um, you know I I I cater to the adventurous and the the uh, free thinking outcasts out there a little bit. <laughs> vanished with no trees. If your passion crumbles, can you bear to
0: So let's just dive into the album a little bit. So I was listening. So the title track um, is the first song, "Affirmation Day," on the record. Um, really dig it. It's epic. It's like got this just so such a wide, warm, and clear sound. Really, really well done. And it seems to me that like you know, it's maybe just me, but it's also the first song on the record. But listening to it, it really kind of defines the album in a way that um, there's a lot of elements that I hear in the, the songs after it that are kind of in that song because it's such a big and epic song so i hear like the whole sonic template let's say for the album i kind of can see it being in that song was that intentional or is that just something that kind of happened what did you record it first or how did that how did that kind of come together
1: yeah so it's an interesting question i think um you know every album that I've done has kind of revealed itself in a different way it manifests in a different way um and with with this record you know when I was in Lithuania I was writing this batch of songs and um and there were certain songs that popped out that I kind of knew where they were already going to end up in the record and and I knew where you know because I always look at an album as kind of a ride you know you start at one point and then you're going to go into You know the depths and then you're going to come back out again and learn something and um so with this title track you know i I i had started writing it and um the the title of the song came first and then there was just this kind of feeling that like okay this is going to be like this song affirmation day i mean the title kind of embodies the rest of the record and it feels like one of those records that opens with a title track, <laughs> which is a certain kind of record to me. And it's, it feels like the gates, it feels like the gates to go right. into the album, you that's know, That's
0: exactly what it feels like.
1: Yeah. So it's like, there has to be, I mean, to me, there was a sense of having to kind of like, kind of sum up the record a bit, like what you're saying. I mean, and I'm glad that you, that you caught that and, and felt like that's what it was saying. Cause that was kind of the drive was to kind of, um, You know really set the tone of everything to come um from that point forward and uh yeah it's it's really interesting to see how how these things kind of play out and and i know it's similar for other artists as to you know what what comes first on an album you know does the album title come first does one song come first or do you see this overall picture that you want to fill in these blanks and stuff like that and that was just a really one of those really blatant intuitive things that that popped up during the writing sessions that was like hey this is the title track and hey it's the first song on the record and it's going to set the tone for the rest of the album so it's just like one of those weird kind of you know flowy things that happens
0: i think you know what what also struck me about the album kind of related to that is you know the the album dynamics you know there's some people who record an album and then they'll sit down with the 10 tracks or 12 tracks later on and say okay now i got to come up with an order for this you know i mean let me make some kind of order okay uh the pop song that's got to go third or you know they just kind of like put it together
1: it's funny because i actually reverted uh back to i don't even want to call it a writing style i reverted back to something i used to do as a kid um i used to sit down at the piano uh in my my early you know probably between five and ten years old and i would come up with albums you know and i would and i would play i would play a ditty and, and make you know i'd make it feel like okay that sounded like a song to me and then i would say okay if this was a record what would happen next where would i go next and then i would start playing that thing and um i started thinking about that you know right when i got to lithuania and started diving into writing the material i i started thinking in that in those terms again and you know by half halfway through my writing retreat i was writing a song a day and i would take the song and i would say okay what would happen next on the record so you know a a really good portion of this new record was written in order with that in consideration with where do I want to go next? Where, where where do I want to take the listener next? Um, because I mean, you know, I never, I, I always am kind of looking at it as that, that big body of work, which is also, you know, that's another, another bullet point that kind of caters to that, those older values of music, like we were talking about earlier. And, um, and it was so, so I always look at it from that to start. And then, you know, if, songs that people like come out of it that's great if if it means that there's a pop song in there somewhere that's great but it's never it's it's rarely is it ever i have this pop song and i want to fit it into this selection of songs no it's just like i'm creating this body of work and this just happens to be a pop song and this just happens to be a progressive song but they all take you hopefully to the place that feels right at the time within
0: the record you know yeah, it's album craft, you know, I think it's, there are people who make albums and people who craft albums.
1: Well, I mean, I, I've been, you know, and, and not everybody thinks of it in that, in those terms. Nope. Not a lot of people are worried about the order of a record, you know, it's kind of an esoteric thing at this point. I think it was a little bit more of a, a you know, an art form back in the day that people were kind of into, but. Um, yeah. You know,
0: it's interesting because, you know, I just saw the start, I don't know if you saw it, just how how you know the the vinyl sales have been booming lately right you know they outsold cds for the first time since the 80s and um so i think there are there definitely are still people out there who you know who cherish the album format as a thing unto itself you know so uh, i think yeah. you uh you have your audience no doubt
1: yeah i definitely um i'm definitely one of those album format nerds myself and and i love that there's a resurgence of vinyl i think that's so cool yeah and, it's amazing you know, just such a better way to spend time with music rather than, you know, playing a quick track on Spotify and then moving on to the next thing.
0: So tell me a little about the kind of recording process. you got it's a great sounding record. Um, obviously you put a lot of effort into it.
1: Well, when I turned, uh, when I, when I returned back to the States, I, immediately contacted a good friend of mine uh, named Jonathan Russo, who uh, is a producer from Arizona originally, moved to Nashville. Um, and I said, hey, I got this batch of songs, and we've wanted to work together for a long time. And I asked him, I was like, do you want to come up to Michigan and, and co-produce You know, at least the tracking sessions of the record? And uh, so he agreed, and, and he came up, and we spent probably 10 days really uh, dialing in sounds and getting very meticulous about uh, the front end of the record, you know, what what sounds we we're getting going in. And, um, you know, I had I had visions for these songs and, and he had studied the demos and he had visions and, and we kind of married both of our visions together. And, and um, you know, he took me to some places that I, I might have not gone and I pulled him to some you know, visions, and, and he helped me realize those visions, and and it was a good uh, balance of, of input between the both of us going in right at the beginning, um, and then, you know, after after he left, I actually had um, the violinist, who you hear on the record, Basil Alter is his name, he's a an amazing, I, I would use the term prodigy, I and mean, he's, he's 20 years old now, I think, and uh, he's from Memphis, and so I brought him up, and um he really put a layer of sound on the record that kind of gives it its signature sound i mean the strings on this record are really kind of um poignant you know it's, it's like uh it, it's something that's very pivotal for this sound um and throughout all of this i mean i've been an audio nerd my whole life you know and i was working in my dad's studio and i was like Fifteen, I think, is when I started taking on clients and, and being a, a mixing engineer, and, and and I've worked a bunch of sound gigs, you know, out out west and stuff like that. So, so my mind is always thinking about sonics and and you know what's what's going to sound sonically um, appealing and interesting and, and maybe different. Um, and with this record, it was really it was really geared towards clarity. Um, I really wanted to get you know something that was that felt very clear. Um, and almost kind of like, you know, Steely Dan level, um, recording, you know, like getting really nerdy about the way we recorded things. I mean, when I was recording Basil's violins, we were using seven mics per violin. So once he, he's, get, he's getting those stacked, and like, you know, on the song affirmation day, by the end of it, I'm looking at my pro tools session and there's literally, I think over 200 violin tracks, from all of these different mics and these sources. <laughs> I was like, okay, now I gotta like, now I gotta take all this down to you know, a few stereo tracks. And so there was definitely no, uh, no expense spared on the recording nerdery of the whole thing. And, um, you know, we did most of the record here at my house and we, re- we recorded drums down in Grand Rapids at a studio called uh, third coast records. And, um, but then, you know, the the tail end of it was months of me sitting in here editing and mixing and in this little cave I'm in here and and um you know it's it's enough to drive one wild, I would say, but <laughs> but my my quest for uh for sonic greatness is it, it takes me to some uh pretty crazy places, so
0: well, it, it shows. I mean, the effort you put in shows. The strings are, are beautiful throughout the record. I was going to ask you about those. Um, so he just overdubbed all those string parts and made these, you know, kind of lush string arrangements right there in your house. Amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I actually found him um, in a weird kind of serendipitous way. I was touring through Tennessee and I had a demo of one of the songs, actually the song 2 Faced, And he... um I found him through a friend in Memphis. I said, "Hey, I called my friend. His name's David Sachs, and he's this really cool, like, Southern, you know, hospitality guy. And he's just like, uh, he's just the sweetest guy. And I called him and, and I said, i 'David, I'm I'm looking for a string player for this demo I have. Do you know anybody in town?'" He's like, "Oh, Jake, I got the greatest guy for you. You're gonna love him. He's this kid from the school. You're just gonna love this kid." <laughs> and like, like, okay, so, so I, I connected with him then. And literally within the first few notes that he played, I was just like, Oh damn, this is like, this is a a prodigy right here. Like this is a really, really great violinist. And he, so he played the strings on two-faced then and there in Memphis. And I said, man, this is so good. I I really would like you to come up to Michigan when I'm ready to do the rest of these tracks. And if you want, you know, record on them. And he, he was all about it. And, uh, and him and I really hit it off, and and you know now we're we're good friends after, after the whole process, and we're always trading ideas, and, and he's sending me his demos and stuff like that, and just a, just a really great violinist, and you know he's gonna go places. There's no doubt about it. Amazing. Oh, great! I'll check
0: him out. So let's talk for a second about the uh, On the Run video. <laughs> yeah. Which was. Uh, <laughs> You know, and I you know, I, was, I listened to the whole record and then I didn't even know that you had the videos and I and I looked and I saw your page and, and I saw the videos. Oh, let me check out the videos for this. And I saw on the run and I got to say, it wasn't what I was expecting.
1: It wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and as we're recording this, the, the video is not actually out yet. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, what's really funny is the the sheer fact that that video even happened is kind of beyond me because we had a week to develop, you know, from concept to finished product, you know, based on the schedules of everybody involved. So, um, you know, the the fact that all of the resources fell in place to make it happen was you know, I I think I think divine intervention was the executive producer of the project, honestly. Um, but yeah, that was just kind of a um a quick, um, concept that I just kind of thought, you know, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can make it happen in these time restraints and on a shoestring budget. And, um, I mean, the concept for the video is, is, uh, this kind of scam artist who picks up a partner and they take on all these different roles. And then in the end, he kind of, you know, scams her and then scams himself essentially.
0: You burned her in the end. I couldn't believe it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she had it coming. She had it coming. Jerry, <laughs> Allen, Jerry Allen, the politician, he's a very sick man with a very childish obsession for money. And so she should have walked right
0: away, you know, from day one. Have you done anything like that before? Any kind of like thematic concept videos like that before?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, actually the director of that video, guy named Jake Burgess. He's here in Traverse City, Michigan. Him and I have done three music videos so far, conceptual music videos. Um, and we started with one called If You Fall Apart, which was a track from um, my last record, Deep Beat Motions. And um, that was a very, that was an intensive, you know, and I think kind of on the run is kind of similar to what we did with If You Fall Apart, just packed into one week time span and not a lot of planning. Um, but yeah, that, that first video we did was, um, that was my first time really, you know, diving into the visual end of, you know, what what the music kind of translate translates to visually in my mind. Um, and, you know, I think our, our workflow has kind of gotten better and better but the way that we're approaching videos now is it's it's changing. And, and I'm kind of giving, you know, I'm kind of letting more things happen where I would have thing that I would have been opposed to in the past, you know, like with On the Run, I mean, you know, there's cars, there's money, there's banks, there's like all of these modern day things that I've always in my mind I've never seen as part of my musical universe that I've built. I've never seen these kind of modern day things, but I'm just like, whatever let's just try it you know and and let's just you know the song's about having an identity crisis anyways so let's have an identity crisis about (laughs) what the music means and what this you know like you know i can throw all of my preconceived notions out the window and and just um get kind of adventurous with it so but jake's been i mean he's an amazing visionary in in his own right and uh working with him on you know conceptual music videos and and also live music videos and and other projects throughout the last few years has been he's just one of my favorite people to work with hands down and and he's he's kind of set the bar to me as as what anybody should be like if they want to be the best person anybody's ever worked with
0: <laughs> wow okay <laughs> yeah that's, a, that's so I'm going to
1: make him listen to this interview so he can so he can hear me say that <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean I, I, the video. Uh, I gotta. I have to go back and look at the your the other video, the older ones. Um, yeah, I just I kind of like it when artists just uh, kind of um, don't take themselves too seriously and are able to kind of maybe take a song that is serious in theme and kind of break it down and take another look at it. That's you know a little lighter maybe than what yeah. they had in mind when they first wrote the song.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you were saying, you know, it's not what you expected. I mean, it's not what I expect for that song either. It's, I mean, to me, that song is, is much more serious and um, to juxtapose it against something. So kind of, you know, I mean, it's borderline comedy. Um, it's It's a stretch for me, but at the same time, it's kind of fun and adventurous and, you know, maybe a risk in some way, but at the same time, it's, you know, why, why not at this point?
0: A couple of the tunes that I kind of stood out to me on the record. So, Prague Six which I want to find out what the uh, title means.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the title actually comes from the place where I wrote it. So I wrote it in Prague. Um, and, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the city, but I mean, I wasn't when I got there, but they have a very, um, uh, what's the word? Bland way of, of naming their neighborhoods. So, the neighborhoods are just named by numbers, you know, it's like Prague one through, I don't know, 20 or something like that. You know, they don't have anything cool like, like Brooklyn or the Bronx or, you know, Harlem or things like that. They just have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Like, so I was, uh, I was in Prague at, um, you know, it was my first tour that I had done outside of the States and it was mainly Takamine guitar clinics. And um, I I had some things going on back home that were troubling me. To say the least. And um I decided to just take a day to kind of meditate on those things and take my guitar and go to find a place that was interesting to write music in. One one thing I like to do when I'm in an exotic location is um is find somewhere that's acoustically inspiring, you know, or historically in- inspiring, something that that I want to sit down in and, and play my guitar and see what comes out and so I go out and, and I'm looking for, you know, I mean, it's Prague. So it looks like, I mean, it looks like Disneyland on steroids. It's, it's the most, one of the most picturesque gems of European architecture. And, um, and so I'm, I'm cruising around town with my guitar, just kind of walking around trying to find a spot and it started to downpour. And I had to duck into the first building that I could find, um, which, you know, I actually started trying to open doors to buildings and everything was locked. And then this guy walks out of this building and I just run in there and it happens to be this old dingy apartment building. And, um, I'm like, okay, well this will work at least for a shelter from the rain and maybe I'll get my guitar out and try to write something. And I walked around the building for a second and I found this stairwell and you know it wasn't the sistine chapel that i had hoped for but it it sounded amazing <laughs> it had this huge reverb and you know this crazy like 5 second decay on the tail of this reverb i'm just like okay this is cool this is going to be enough to to get inspired and i got on my guitar and and started playing and um, i think i was in there for for about 3 or 4 hours and so about 3 or 4 hours and probably 10 very confused apartment tenants later I walked out with that song (laughs) and, uh, fittingly, you know, named it after the neighborhood that I wrote it in.
0: Yeah. So maybe if you would have found the, uh, the chapel, it would have been a very different song.
1: Potentially. Yes. Yeah. It could have been Ave Maria part two. (laughs) Right. Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So another track that I was really digging was only you, just a real gorgeous, gorgeous track. Um, that's one where kind of, you know, the, 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 string arrangement, um, kind of really, shines through and the fact that you only kind of the only rhythmic element there is the kick drum you know like kind of um i you know when i was listening to it and i was uh i listened to it once and i focused in i was like is that really only like a kick drum here because i think it's another one of those uh, songs where your unique kind of guitar playing style comes through and the way you're kind of picking off of the the bass drum the four on the floor creates this kind of like a whole rhythmic pattern going on where it kind of feels like there's a lot more rhythmic instrumentation going on, but it's really just the guitar that's kind of handling that, which made such a nice layer for the the strings and the whole song.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I mean that was a song that you know, essentially with with all of the songs on this record, I I wrote them just on an acoustic guitar, you know, at the Art Incubator, and was did kind of have this target in my mind of, of writing a record that i could play start to finish live without the need for a band or for even a looping pedal um i mean granted i i will use looping and and you know effects within my live show for these songs but i could also just pull out a guitar and just you know play play these tunes so that was kind of the goal in mind and so so with that as the kind of prerequisite a lot of the stuff that I wrote had to be kind of rhythmically engaging in my mind. Um, so, you know, with that, that guitar part on its own, it's, it's its own thing and it, and it stands up, but then I did always kind of hear this, this pulsating, you know, four on the floor, like you're saying in the back. And, um, when we got to the studio where we recorded drums in, it was in Grand Rapids, um, they had an insane, collection of drums and like, you know, from vintage to modern and everything in between. And part of what they had in their arsenal was a couple of really old concert bass drums um, that, you know, had like crazy history and backstories behind them. And um, so one of them in particular, you know, it really caught my eye first and then caught my ear um, even more so. And so I was like, okay, this is this is something that needs to be implemented, this drum. And then I thought about that, you know, that pulsating that I had always kind of heard in my head for Only You. And I was like, okay, that's that's going to be what this is for. And, you know, so we actually had, it, it was kind of a hard sound to, um, to get to the point where it is on the record. Uh, we had to have like three guys kind of straddle this bass drum and like mute it in a way that made it, compliment the song um and and then have Jonathan you know my co-producer like just beating away at it for 5 minutes straight just the score on the floor and um and so it it ended up becoming known as just the uh the old haunted bass drum that we used at Third Coast Recordings <laughs> and um yeah it does kind of make for an interesting kind of open soundscape for everything else to kind of flourish out of you know
0: yeah, well that the the effort of that simple bass drum comes through definitely, you know. So it's good cool to hear that you guys like straddled this thing. And, <laughs> and, think- and it was played live for 5 minutes instead of just like four or sampled and looped. Yeah. Looped and, it, you know, yeah. Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, we tried to be as as real and organic as possible with the whole thing, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say, "Oh, get get one good hit and we'll deal with it later."
1: Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> I just can't let myself do it morally. I need to go to <laughs> I need to, I need it's you to hit that thing. thing for 5 minutes and let's do 10 takes just cuz <laughs>
0: We were talking a little bit about it before, but, you know, so you're, you know, an independent artist and you kind of obviously, based on everything we just talked about, take a very hands-on approach to everything that you do. Um, and as you said, you know, now that kind of the records, you know, the, the creative part of the record is out, now you got to, you know, switch hats and become the marketer and, and kind of figure out how you're going to get to people, how you're going to sell it. Um, how you're going to get people to talk about it and all those things, and so I just wanted you to kind of talk a little bit about that aspect of it, kind of like how you approach it, and also how is that changing now because of COVID and all the, you know, that you can't play live, you can't really go out and do um, the kind of shows that you're used to doing. So, right. kind of what approach are you taking?
1: Well, I mean, the way that I've kind of always promoted records in the past has been touring them, and, and um, Know being in the flesh and playing the songs live, so this has given me actually kind of an opportunity to see what it's more so like to solely promote it online, and really kind of helped me. It's helped me hone my skills as a, an online musician, in a sense. Um, you know, when when this whole thing started uh, with the pandemic, well, right before it started, I had gotten the the hunch that maybe I should do um, a crowdfunding campaign. To fund the album release campaign, and uh, so I decided to go through with it. And and a few days before the pandemic really started to happen, I um, I started this fundraiser and I decided to do a live Facebook Live video. I'm like, okay, Facebook Live, that would be a cool way to engage my audience. And I don't I didn't even play any music. I literally baked a pizza in my kitchen and talked to people about what, what I was doing with the fundraiser and um, and I was like, wow, that was kind of fun, you know, being live on the Internet like no, I'd never done that before. And literally within probably three days, the pandemic had had really hit and everybody and their brother were doing live stream concerts on the Internet. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, what are the odds? You know, like, I think I have this cool idea. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, everybody's doing it. Um, it's but,
0: amazing how everybody became a, you know, a video blogger instantaneously. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, I think everybody's adapting to this, this crazy thing that's happening. And, and you know, I was one of them and, and I didn't think that the fundraiser would succeed to be honest, because I mean, once that started, it's like, okay, nobody's going to be, nobody's going to be donating money to an artistic project from some guy at this, you know, when they're, when there's a pandemic going on, crazy crisis we're facing. And I, I was blown away when it actually, it, it succeeded, it reached its goal. And I was able to, you know, have a, a chunk of money through this amazing, you know, generosity of, of my friends and fans. And, and I was able to fund a, a pretty good album release campaign. I think, you know, thus far, you know, we've made, there's two videos, there's two more in the making right now. Um, and, uh, there's been a really great press campaign, um, from a, a great PR company called Press Junkie. And, um, you know, of course all of the, uh, production costs that go into making those things, you know, those music videos and, and still creating those archaic things called CDs and, uh, you know, all of that stuff. It's, uh, it costs money. So it was nice to have uh, a successful campaign, uh, through the Indiegogo fundraiser. To really make those things happen. And then, um, you know, and I started, I actually stuck with those live streams because I was, I continued doing them to promote the fundraiser, but then I, I started to kind of garner this, this new wave of fans who were coming in and, and being like, hey, can you play this song? And it like, started getting all these requests. And, and I was just like, wow, this is actually a really cool thing. And all of these people in different countries who had been familiar with my music, but haven't, you know, had a chance to see me because I, I haven't come there. Um, they were, they had an opportunity to, to see me play or or feel like, you know, they're a little bit closer to an artist that they like. So that was a really rewarding feeling for me. And I kept those streams going and I, I was streaming twice a week for probably five months, you know, from May to, I want to say late August, early September. I was, um, I was consistently doing these, these streams twice a week. And, um, It really, you know, it made me start to really see the internet as a different place for a musician. And, and, you know, there's things like Patreon and and Indiegogo and things like that. And, you know, because fans actually do want to support things that they believe in. And to be on the receiving end of that, especially during a pandemic, was just a crazy, you know, experience that I'm I'm super grateful for and and very eye-opening at the same time because... You know, I didn't think any of that would succeed. I didn't think that we would we would be able to do half of what we did. But um, it's it's been a strangely rewarding year uh, in terms of everything else going on this year.
0: <laughs> you know. Well, it's you know those who kind of take the situation and and make the best of it, and you know, really work to continue to have a direct connection with their fans um, are the ones who come out on top and you know of this thing and uh, i think that's what you're doing it sounds uh, it sounds like you've kind of opened some new doors for yourself that might continue on outside you know once once we're allowed out and allowed to rock shows again
1: yeah yeah well i mean you know the idea of being an independent musician in its own right is a, uh, you know you have to be tactful in in that path in the normal world so yeah i think um once the pandemic started it was uh i think it was just kind of common common nature for for artists to adapt like they do naturally and figure out ways to navigate it in a way that was going to um you know keep them relevant and keep them creative and um i think i think most of you know my friends in my musical circle have, have done an amazing job at that and and a lot of people's careers have grown throughout this pandemic, which is, there's something to be said about that. I think it's uh, it's a testament to um, the importance of the arts and, and music and the things that we're all trying to do out here, you know?
0: Well said, well said. So I think it's a great place to kind of wrap it up. I mean, you know, positive note, it's pretty inspirational to kind of see an artist like yourself who's really kind of taken the time to hone their skills and find new ones and really reach fans and you know in any possible way they can it's uh you know it's it's what's going to save the industry i think you know over time
1: i hope so i mean it's it's uh you know it's never been in our independent hands as much as it has been now so let's uh do it right now your voice is gone, but the song ¡Suscríbete